0: Um, And so for your listeners, you know, that means we need 17 billion dollars today to bring our 176,000 units up to a good state of working repair. So basically it would take us about 300 years to address, um, you know, all of the, oy is right.
1: What's the data point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette? I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette.
2: I'm Maria Doulis from the CBC. Find our work online at cbcny.org and follow us on Twitter at cbcny. I'm at Maria Doulis.
1: And I'm at Tweet ben Max, and we're at Gotham Gazette and uh, for those that don't know at this point, which should be nobody listening, uh, Gotham Gazette covers city and state politics like nobody else. Uh, we're published by Citizens Union Foundation. And uh, we're excited to continue our What's the Data Point podcast today with a guest, Shola Olatoye, the chair and CEO of the New York City Housing Authority. NYCHA, welcome.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: And for our program today, the data point is $17 billion. Maria?
2: $17 billion, the capital needs of the New York City Housing Authority, which is the largest housing authority in the U.S., NYCHA is responsible for approximately 2,500 buildings with 176,000 public housing units. Almost 400,000 New Yorkers live in public housing, about 4.6% of the city's population. So NYCHA runs a massive amount of social infrastructure, and this infrastructure needs help. NYCHA's 2011 Physical Needs Assessment indicates that its buildings have almost $17 billion in rehabilitation needs over five years. That's an average of about $95,000 per housing unit. The federal government funds the bulk of NYCHA's capital budget and its operations, but NYCHA has also benefited from increased city commitments. Most recently, a $1 billion city capital budget increase for roofs over the next 10 years. And as a recent CBC report finds, increased city support for its operations has allowed NYCHA to stabilize its finances in order to take steps forward in implementing its strategic plan, next gen NYCHA. So to discuss all of this, we're here with the chair. Welcome. Thank you.
1: So as Maria laid out for us, there's some really big needs, but there's also been a lot more investment. Um, I cover the mayor closely on all sorts of things, and one thing that I've consistently sort of given him... Credit for is the investment in NYCHA that he's shown. Um, The the size and the scale and the scope of this is just so big. Maria hit at it with some of these numbers, but as New Yorkers, we sometimes, oh, 400,000 people, you know, not that big a deal. But anyway, deteriorating buildings, disinvestment from government, Mm -hmm. at least before you all came in. Um, You were among the mayor's early appointments, of course, right from the beginning. Um, NYCHA was in crisis. So just give us a little bit to start us off. Why'd you take the job? <laughs> <laughs> this has got to be one of the hardest jobs in city government. Um, and just sort of, how, how do you describe the state of affairs mm-hmm. and and what have been your top priorities
0: here? Sure, sure. Well, again, thank you for uh, inviting me on to talk about what I think is you know one of the most important issues that the city faces. And you know, you're right. I think when Um, The de Blasio administration began, you know, it was notable that he spoke about public housing and its residents in a way as as part of the city fabric, which really hadn't been something that um, I think had been sort of, you know, sort of that we had heard before. Um, We came in in 2014. The organization was already, uh, and that, this was February, seventy-five million dollars in the red. And I will remind or, or share with your listeners that we are on a calendar fiscal year, so it was February, and we were already seventy-five million dollars in the red. Uh, the the challenges of just the basic operations getting, doing basic repairs had has been, you know, long reported in the press, but uh, there had been a significant backlog, just the time for basic resources, disaffected workforce, uh, a sort of somewhat, you know, capital program that um, was slow, uh, like our city in the region, significantly affected by Hurricane Sandy, which, you know, in the course of 24 hours was an almost two billion and a half hit to the authority, um, three actually $3 billion hit to the authority. So we were absolutely in crisis. Uh, And why did I take the job? Um, (laughs) You know, I I, I, may be a glutton for punishment, but also just was incredibly humbled by the opportunity to Um, work on issues, uh, continue to work on issues that affect the communities that I care about. And with one in 14 New Yorkers being served by NYCHA in some form or fashion, the ability to have an impact at that level seemed quite um, significant. And so uh, I said yes. And, you know, I don't do anything. And you're still here. And I'm still here. Jump jump in with both feet. And look, (laughs) I think, you know, any executive will tell you when when you really begin what has been a turnaround effort. I mean, that's what this is. This is not something that, you know, happened in the last five years or the last 10 years. This has been a 30-year steady decline in what is really this city's and this country's largest affordable housing resource and um, $17 billion it needs. What does that mean? Um, And so for your listeners, you know, that means we need $17 billion today to bring 176,000 units up to a good state of working repair. Um, currently, we receive about, and this fluctuates, about 300 million dollars from the federal government and capital dollars to address those to address those needs. So basically, it would take us about 300 years. <laughs> to address, um, you know, Oy. all of the, co- Oy is right. Yeah. And so, you know, it was clear that we had to do some pretty radical things for us, which is to first, I think, say, you know, this is not, uh, this is a city. If we were a city, we'd be the, we'd be bigger than Boston and in Miami, uh, Atlanta. And, you know, it, it has to be part of the city's conversation about what is a uh, economically healthy environment Vibrant New York. Um, we had to acknowledge our failures, and 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 there are plenty. Um, and and then we had to. I believe, and I perhaps this is just my brain, sort of. Break it down into chunks, right? Really think about, okay, first we got to stabilize our finances. You cannot begin to, you know, turn around an ocean liner of this of this magnitude size when you literally can't pay your bills. So we had to stabilize our finances. We then needed to begin to, you know, chart a long-term sustainability uh, Financial plan for the organization. At, at, at our core, we're a landlord, right? That is what we do: we house people, we fix things, we you know we rent apartments. Um, you know, when the Housing Authority was founded, it was really this sort of utopian idea that you'd have these you know sort of towers in the park, sort of oasis from the urban you know chaos that you know would provide all sorts of services to working men and women. Um, and you know, frankly, we were really never funded to meet that utopian vision and so it meant that we had to shed some things that we could not afford to do, and we need to do more of that, and we can talk more about that. The third is you we have a lot of real estate you said it mm-hmm. right we have over twenty six hundred buildings throughout the city um, in almost every community district, and you know we have a lot of land that frankly is not in great shape and underutilized, and we should we have to think about leveraging that land to raise much needed cash to take care of our buildings. Um, and then fourth you know yes we are a landlord we are buildings but we're also communities and you know we are um, you know more, more than buildings and so we have to figure out a way to engage with our with our residents and um, the communities around us in a new and different way um, which has also been changed so I think if there's any sort of sort of consistent theme is that change is constant and the authority has to had to and has to kind of embrace it and drive it and and um, in there lies some of the challenge.
1: Thank you. Um, that's a very helpful introduction. So, um, for listeners, you know, the three of us talking on this podcast will bounce back and forth between capital and operating. Mm-hmm. But I just want to make sh- you know make clear for everybody, you know, capital is this sort of buildings into a state of good repair. Right. It's infrastructure. Operating is the day to day running of the organization. Employees, cleanup uh, programs, as you mentioned, community development stuff. Things like that.
0: That's right. We actually, there are three programs that we run. One is the public housing operating program, which is, as you said, is the the, the sort of day-to-day operations of keeping the lights on, literally. Um, The second is the CAPA program, so roofs, uh, you know, boilers, windows. um, And then the third is uh, the Section 8 program, which we also run the largest Section 8 program in the country, which is largely a pass-through to the private real estate market here in New York City. So, you know, there are over uh, 88,000 households who rely on us for um, what is a rental assistance subsidy to, um, you know, to allow people to live in private rental housing throughout the city.
1: Just real quick, I want to follow up on something you said in your introduction. You said acknowledging, you know, failures. Um, Can you name one that you acknowledged Prior to your arrival, you know something you said. We're just this is really going poorly, and we need to correct. And now three and a half years in, can you say something that you failed at, or you haven't done enough that you're 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 looking to improve on as you move forward? Yeah.
0: Sure. Look, I think that you know I, the the radical thing about what we're doing is that we are. Uh, raising expectations that that our residents should expect a safe and clean and decent place to live and and, and that in some ways it's it's sort of sad that that's radical. Um, and so I, I think you know acknowledging that 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 for far too many New Yorkers who live in public housing that wasn't the case and and so I think we said that right away and not only did we say it we said look we're gonna, publish reports. We're going to put stuff online. We're going to tell you if you have a gas outage. We're going to tell you, you know, if, if, um, if the water is down in your, in your, in your development, we're going to put our contracts online. So really kind of peeling back the kind of NYCHA curtain and to, and, and, and being transparent, um, about, about, you know, how resources are deployed, just how decisions are made. Um, I think, I believe it was really important to helping reestablish some le- level of credibility with our residents and with the broader um, community. What have we failed at? We fail daily. I mean, you're, we're human. But, um, you know, look, I think there are always challenges that we face, whether it is, you know, just the, the, the challenges of managing 11,000 men and women who work, you know, in this vast city. And, you know, we have all of the intentions, good intentions, and policy and data, you know, down at our central office, and then you know we put out a policy directive, and then it sort of goes down the 26 levels between me and the caretaker, and like that's not actually what happens, right? So yeah, we fail, and so part of that is, you know, how do we how do we identify when those failures happen? How quickly? How do we um, you know respond to it, and and how do we fix it? I mean, I think that's the That's the challenge of managing any large operations agency. I do think that what um, we have uh, uh, have done, you know, a really, we've really improved on, and there's much more to do, is is using technology and data to identify where those failures are. You know, one of the things that we started, you know, half of our staff weren't on email. Half of our staff. So literally, if there was something, up, yes, yeah. right, I mean, like eleven thousand. How my, do you communicate you know? mm-hmm. with you know with eleven thousand people that you know? And so the reality is you don't. And so people are still, we're still doing things the way that they've been doing things for 40 years. And so, you know, I'm pleased to say, you know, we are almost, uh, we have one more sort of skilled trade that will, will join us. But now everyone has, you know, handhelds and they have an email address and they will soon have voicemail boxes. I mean, these are sort of basic things that like any large employer needs to have in any sort in the 21st century. But for us, it's really about, you know, how we communicate policy changes, how we how we hold people accountable and and, and how do we report out on that, on that um, progress and performance. And I think that's been a huge shift for us.
2: You know, one of the things we've talked about at CBC often in terms of performance measurement is that government needs to think about the customer or the client or, in your case, the resident first, right? And that kind of underlies your the whole next-gen NYCHA approach. Um so part of that, I think, as you said, there, there's it's wrapped up into several elements of the next gen NYCHA plan. Um, but part of that is sort of ground level, what's happening at the developments, you know, what's happening when people make a service request, what's the length of time it takes to respond to cases of mold or, you know, roofs coming in or whatever have you, um, and the changes that need to happen operationally to, to make that happen. So you've started a pilot program, right, the FlexOps where caretakers and other positions are shifting their schedules to essentially expand the service coverage at these developments. What other kind of initiatives like that are mm-hmm. you pursuing? You know, Are you seeing them bear fruit? Mm-hmm. Are they moving the needle on sure. these metrics and getting – people, the residents, to feel like, yeah, you know, the service has improved in the last three years?
0: Look, I think for anyone who lives in an apartment building in New York City or who manages properties, you recognize that property management is a 24-hour business. Um, There are emergencies that will happen, even in the newest of buildings. Um, But the reality for the New York City Housing Authority is that um, we really operate as an eight-hour business. And so our men and women come in at eight and leave at four. And what happens after 401? Sort of don't know. And and we have a very small force of uh, uh, of emergency personnel who we like to say respond to fire, blood, and 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 um, you know fire and flood, fire, blood, and flood. Um, but the challenges of cleanliness, the challenges of, you know, 40% of our working age adults work. And so, you know, taking off two hours, three hours during the middle of the day for a maintenance request is a true, you know, sort of economic hardship for them. So. You know, in partnership with our largest union, Local 237, the Teamsters, we started um, this pilot called the FlexOps Initiative, or Flexible Operations, because we recognize that, you know, people leave for work at 7 a.m. Their properties look like there's been a rave the night before, and they come home at 5 p.m., and it looks like nothing has, cha- has changed, despite the fact that I know from my my, uh, my the data from my frontline st- front staff that, you know, 60% of our caretakers, 60% of the time of our caretakers is spent moving trash. So people are working and they are cleaning, but it doesn't look like it. So we started this pilot in 12 developments to essentially create staggered shifts, have caretakers and uh, maintenance workers essentially spread out over the course of a 12-hour day, so 6 a.m. to about 7 p.m. We started in 12 developments, and we learned some things. One, guess what? Our employees like to have... Flexible oper- flexible schedules. They you know all of a sudden can save on child care They don't have to have you know someone as a mother myself I fully mm-hmm. appreciate this don't have to have someone to do the pickup because they can get off at two um, Guess what our properties are cleaner Residents are starting to see staff in the hallways when they leave for work in the morning and they're cleaner and they're saying thank you so from a just a basic data point on is the property cleaner Are our employees um, happier? Are they safer? Um, Are residents, you know, how are residents feeling about their developments? All of those indicators show really good, really good progress. We learned some other things that, you know, what, harder for folks, you know, people aren't really um, uh, interested in, in, in staying later at a development, even though our residents are home and we would have fewer tenant not at home tickets that would then lead to some of the issues of a ceiling collapsing because we've gone three or four times and the person isn't home, et cetera. So it it was it's a good pilot. We've expanded it to now a couple of other developments. Um and we'll and we'll see if this is something based really ba- really can be expanded in our conversations with the with the unions as we enter collective bargaining. I was gonna next say year.
1: right. Okay, yeah, and that's that's gotta be and coming yeah, this, up. This yeah. this
0: will be, you know, this is hard. It's change. Um in you know, I when I when we started it, I had one of our caretakers say, We're not supposed to be seen. And I thought wow, that's just, there's so much to unpack there. And I thought, no, actually, like having additional eyes and bodies on the street is, you know, like there's data to tell us that that is a safety precaution and, you know, all sorts of data around just sort of community cohesion, et cetera. So, you know, as much as we are seeking to fundamentally change the way we deliver basic operations, we are also in the midst of a huge culture shift at the authority, which is the hardest thing to change.
2: So the other sort of aspects that you know, we, we've done work on NYCHA, as you know, mm-hmm. um, we've, our, our staffs have discussed, but for those who haven't read the latest CBC publications, um, you know, the Next Gen NYCHA plan, very um, ambitious plan, also very serious. Um, and you guys and your team have done a great job sort of moving ahead and taking it step by step, but there's still sort of a lot to be done, mm-hmm. right? we've compared operating costs at NYCHA versus private landlords. They're dramatic. NYCHAs are dramatically higher. There's still some things that could be done in terms of curbing expenses and raising revenues, non-rental revenues, right? So for the audience, you know, because NYCHA receives the bulk of its funding from the federal government, it is restricted with what it can do with rents, both the level, the increases, and a bunch of other things. So, What's the, the game plan there? I mean, one area that stood out to me in, in doing this work was parking, mm-hmm. just the sheer number of parking lots that NYCHA has and the rates that are being charged, which are so much lower than market price and often underutilized. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's the, sure. you know, the ability to move forward
0: on some of these other fronts? Sure. So for your listeners who you know, have not read Room to Breathe, uh, you know, and I said this to to um, That's the CBC report. Mm-hmm. It, it mm-hmm. was, I thought, a thoughtful and, and very um, helpful piece of work that um, really looked at the data, I would quibble with your rent numbers, but we'll talk a little bit more right. about that. Um, look, we have balanced our budget for the last two years in a row, um, which hasn't happened per your own report since 2003. Uh, and we've done that through a couple of different ways. One is no question uh, the city relieving a, relieving the authority of some of the uh, expenses that no other affordable housing provider in the city provide uh, pays, like property taxes, like extra fees for NYPD. NYPD.
1: I mean, that was, yeah. Going going back to what I said at the beginning, the, 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 the de Blasio, you know, for this mayor who, you know, we've written plenty of critical stuff about to come in and just say, we're not going to make NYCHA pay for NYPD, right. <laughs> sort right. of like, oh, that seems to make sense. Right. right. I mean, and for
2: those, I think, who question whether that's appropriate, the history here is that the city built plenty of these developments and then stopped funding them along the way. That's right. right.
0: That's right. right. So, that's and okay. so that Sorry was, no, no, I think yeah. that's a really good point. And, and I do think the mayor, you know, deserves a, a tremendous amount of credit. And I will say a lot of advocates had been saying this for years. And so he heard that and, and made those changes. Right away. So, look, I think we've been able to increase just a base level of revenue through those actions. We've also cut expenses, um, both in our central operating costs, which are still too much. Um, but we, it was really important that we, I think, signal to the organization that we needed to eliminate some management levels um, and and return that those um, return those costs uh, or expenses, labor costs, back to the front line where we. We could have additional caretakers. We could have additional maintenance people, uh, maintenance staff. So those were really important. I say parking is an amenity we could no longer afford. We have 20,000 spaces, something like 20,000 spaces throughout our portfolio, half of which are actually uh, permitted permitted mm-hmm. to uh, NYCHA residents. And as you said, you know there are many, many that are incredibly underutilized. Um, it's not a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. You just raise the parking rates, so it is not a tactical, not a hard thing. To it is do? not from a technical from, from, right, from a okay, technical okay. standpoint. <laughs> you just raise the parking okay, rates. Yeah. I, so my point being, this is a hard political problem, right? And you know, and it is. But here's what we're doing. One, we did a finer level of analysis and realized we do have a number of non-resident. Uh, parking uh, users. So the first thing is how quantify how many of those we have mm-hmm. and raise the rates on those users to the market in those communities. Right. So that's one. And we have to issue an RFP, et cetera. So there's been some time delay on that piece. Um, the second is to um, you sort of take a, a fresh look at the contract that we have to um, let's make some capital improvements to the existing parking spaces. Because one of the critiques that our residents mm-hmm. May say is, you know, you want to raise my rates, but there's a huge sinkhole in the middle of this parking mm-hmm. lot. You know, the lines haven't been painted in 25 years. So, you know, we're, we're going to do we're going to make some of those investments. But then the third thing is, you know, we're going to have to collectively as a city say it is more important that a development have a functioning boiler than and, and, a, and, a, and a roof that doesn't leak than for someone to be subsidized at a $100 parking space on West 92nd Street. Absolutely right. And I think that is a, 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 it makes complete rational sense. Um, It's the implementation that has been challenging.
1: And that can sort of um, collide or negate even, collide with or negate some of the, what you talked about at the beginning of sort of trying to really improve morale.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think what's, there's, there's one of the things that we have tried to do with our, um, I think, one, by being more transparent, two, by engaging more people in the conversation around public housing. And I think the CBC having this conversation and Gotham Gazette having this conversation is a part of that, is trying to create a constituency for change. Right? I mean, this is the same challenge that my, our colleagues have in the affordable housing plan, right? Where everyone recognizes that there is an affordable housing need, but they don't necessarily want to give up something that they have come to, to, to mm-hmm. appreciate. And so it's the same challenge for us, which is, you know, everyone wants better services, wants their buildings to be fixed, but they don't want to change or give anything up for that. And so how do we create a constituency for that change? with residents. It can't just be the sort of city elites and and think tanks um, who are advocating for that. And so we have invested a lot in um, sort of, frankly, the old-fashioned shoe leather, knocking on doors, talking to residents, getting people to recognize that, like, you know what, I'd like to replace your bathroom and your sink too, but I don't have $35 million. But you see that parking lot there that has three cars? Like, I could lease that space, build a building, and, you know, we could raise... 20 to 25 million dollars, and you could get a new bathroom. Um, most people understand that at a very basic level. And, you know, it, it, particularly residents who live in the buildings, I think it gets complicated when others who come from the outside and have right. other agendas. Um, and so that's just been a process. And it, it, I would have loved to be farther along on some of our. Um, Development, although I think we're we're, we're very much on track um, in terms of, of of releasing the sites that are part of our development um, pipeline, but these conversations take time, and and that's and that's that's what we're doing.
1: Let's talk about a couple other um, revenue areas or or ways to that investment is being sought and delivered to NYCHA. One is this quote unquote infill development. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the status there? Uh, I believe in some places that's been better received than others. Mm-hmm. Um so so where are we at with sort of this? And this is for those that aren't familiar, this is allowing um, the development of new housing on NYCHA land right. that is um not NYCHA right. operated.
0: Right. So, you know, one of the things that uh going back to next gen, we said is like we have to leverage our real estate. And you know, frankly, NYCHA is is late to the party in terms of doing this. I mean housing authorities across the country have um, you know utilized their resources to uh, redevelop land, take the excess proceeds and reinvest it back in their portfolio. And we have been slow to that. So back to your question about sort of failures, I think you know it was sort of a missed opportunity in the, in the 90s and the early 2000s. here we are. and so we have you know outlined a program that does a couple of things. one, Creates more affordable housing, um, and so as part of the Mirror's ho- Housing Plan, we will release sites throughout our portfolio to build something like an additional 10,000 units over the course of the next 10 years. That will be, a, you know, sort of part of the affordable housing ecosystem in New York City. So, you know, this, the 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 pro- programs and projects that we are we've come to know on this program is being financed by the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Program. The second part of our program is our Next Gen Neighborhoods Program which is where we also create affordable housing, but we're also going to create some market rate housing, and we do that so that we can raise revenues to invest back into our buildings. We have currently have three sites that are um, part of this pipeline, downtown Brooklyn at Wyckoff, uh, um, Holmes Towers on the Upper East Side, for which we just selected a development team, and we expect to receive something like $25 million upfront to invest back into the capital needs at Holmes Towers, which has, a, I believe, a $37 million capital need. Um, and then the third is LaGuardia on the Lower East Side. Um, and, and later this fall, we'll be announcing a fourth site. So that has been. Um, so those,
1: I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah. but just for clarity sure. sake. So those are three sites for the mixed. That's right, the mixed affordable income. and market mm-hmm. rate to leverage more private equity coming into NYCHA, that's right. and that's very much in line with the mayor's broader housing plan, is leveraging market rate housing to create affordable housing to create community investment. Right. There are critics of that approach, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so how are you, what are you saying to those critics who say, You should not be building any market-rate housing on NYCHA property. It should all be affordable housing. So you should be building more public housing.
0: Well, first of all, you know, this country made a decision in 1978 to stop building public housing units. So, like, unless that's going to change, like, that's sort of a nothing argument. Second thing is, you know, there really is no ferry coming from Washington, right? Like, there really isn't. And so I, you know, as I said to our critics about this, like, we will support advocacy efforts and, you know... Give you whatever information you need to march and 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 protest uh, federal cuts. In the meantime, we have to figure out how to improve the quality of life and conditions for our residents. And this is not a panacea, but it is one tool by which we can identify real resources to come in and fix up these buildings. So you know. We're, it's too. It's too late to have this intellectual conversation, right? The crisis is right now, right. and you know. While I think we have designed a program that is clear-eyed. It is engaging and and inclusive, and it's focused on the problems, which are our buildings are sixty years old or older, um, and there's no resources to fix them up. So you know, I just I, I I don't have a lot of time for that argument when I see you know how people are living, and you know, you want me to have a discussion about on a white paper like it's like people need like roofs and they need their bathrooms fixed, and this to me is you know a very clear-eyed solution. It is not does not Solve everything, but it is one way in which we can um, deliver some relief for you know for taxpayers. Right, like, mm-hmm. people live in New York in New York City public housing. They literally power this city. The top three employers of our residents are the Department of Education, MTA, and NYPD. And, you know, and so, you know, these are people who are like they are powering this city. And so Mm -hmm. to say to them, like, you know, you're not worthy of living in a safe and decent place because we have this grand intellectual experiment of the early 20th century is, I think, quite short-sighted.
2: Right. And, yeah, there's also benefits to more income mixing by bringing in more affluent
0: families through market which housing. actually was why public housing was developed exactly. right it was it was met it was envisioned to be a place for working families of mixed incomes you came in you stabilized your family you moved on or and or your your rent sort of you know adjusted to your income i mean that it was the the sort of genesis of mm-hmm. of of public housing 80 years of failed social policies, et cetera, are where we are right now, and 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 hence the need to, to do these types of um, uh, uh, interventions, like building on underutilized land. Just to, just to finish the point, the third part of our our real estate um, strategy is to utilize whatever. Federal uh, tools that that are out there to leverage the public, um, to leverage private investment. So, you know, under the Obama administration, a program called the Rental Assistance Demonstration Program or RAD, which essentially allows housing authorities to um, convert their housing their their public housing units to Section Eight and borrow against that Section Eight um, contract, is something that we're also doing. We just closed the largest contract. Um, uh, uh, at Ocean Bay Bayside and Far Rockaway, 1,400 units, also damaged by Hurricane Sandy. You know, I just, I challenge any credit to go and talk to those residents about like how their quality of life has changed now that they have, you know, redone lobbies, new bathrooms, kitchens and baths, a working furnace. I mean, you know, the shame is that we're doing the basics, mm-hmm. and 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 it is so critical that we continue on that. And I think it is, you know, it's our responsibility uh, as public leaders uh, to, to do that, and and for the city to, to help support that. So, if
2: I'm not mistaken, the rad each rad development
0: proposal needs to be approved by the federal government, right? So the way that it works is you submit um, kind of a list of properties mm-hmm. that um, have high capital needs. Um, and, and that's what we've done. We outlined about 15,000 in our plan units that we, um, you know, and again, this is, it can evolve and, 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 and change, but we submitted that to HUD and they can approve it in sort of batches or bundles. So okay. we received approval for essentially the first 5,200 and, and that's what we're currently working our way through.
2: So is this, I mean, is this one area where perhaps the Trump administration may help? I mean, we should talk about the potential negatives, um, which are large and looming. Um, but is this one area, given the push to roll back sort of regulations and engage the private sector more, where perhaps they could be helpful? I mean, how far can the strategy take you to mm-hmm. help address the $17 billion gap? Yeah, look, I think,
0: you know can the Trump administration be helpful that's an You're interesting not expecting question. to hear that. I, on you this know I'm, sort of today. I'm actually surprised to, that I said <laughs> how to answer that question you know look I, I, there is no silver bullet to 17 billion dollars right this is fed this was housing that was mm-hmm. created and built by the federal government i strongly believe the federal government has an obligation legal obligation to continue to fund it support it and and, and invest in it full stop can we use the sort of you know shall we say bias of this administration to, towards the private sector towards deregulation to help us absolutely and we should i mean we should there are we have a three page list of regulations that would allow us to move faster in the development process you know we you know there are as a as the country's largest housing authority there are rules that we are subjected to that just simply don't make sense, like, you know, you shouldn't have, you know, gates on your first floor windows. We're like, this is New York City, we have gates on our windows, right? Like, and so, and you get dinged for that in certain ways. So there are, there are absolutely, I think, regulatory um, changes that can be helpful to us. And we absolutely are, are seeking to engage with um, Secretary Carson and his team around those issues. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing, hopefully, that your listeners know is that, you know, Affordable housing in this country, until the creation of low income housing tax credit, was public housing. Right. So, you know, so now with the low income housing tax credit that was created as part of the 1986 tax reform um, bill, you know, now affordable housing means kind of mixed finance housing with low income housing tax credits, bond cap, other things. Um, And so, there's always been private investment as part of the affordable housing sort of ecosystem. So that's not a bad thing. The question is, you know, is there enough, are there enough of those resources to now help support the public housing infrastructure? And I think, frankly, that is a challenge because there is a finite amount of resources that we, are, that we have in this state. And the reality is the city's largest affordable housing resource needs someone.
1: We're in our last couple minutes here on "What's the Data Point" with uh, NYCHA Chair and CEO Shola Olatoye. Thank you for being here again. Um, just last couple of questions. Uh, you mentioned Secretary Carson, Ben Carson. Um, have you spoken with him recently? Are you hopeful for some FaceTime? What's the latest there?
0: So I, so I have met with Dr. Carson. I've I've uh, been with him in sort of a social setting, um, and you know. He is, um, and my my impression is that you know he cares deeply about people. Um, you know, does he understand the magnitude of the agency that he now heads, and the as what I said to him are the the, the greatest challenges and opportunities, particularly that the New York City Housing Authority present to him? I haven't seen that. Um, but, you know, I'm an optimist, so I'm hoping that as he fills out his team and um, they look to, I think, respond to the president's directive of being leaner and more efficient, they will engage with us about some of the smart solutions of how you invest in your infrastructure so that it actually reduces your costs long term.
1: And lastly, from me, um, I wanted to ask you, um, we wrote about the Fund for Public Housing, Um a while back, and I wanted to see if you had an update. You know, we reported at Gotham Gazette that you had had sort of an initial 2016, an initial um, influx of some some money into that nonprofit to mm-hmm. support NYCHA, sort of like the fund for public schools that mm-hmm. the that mm-hmm. the DOE relies on in some respects. Um, you uh, or allies launched. Uh, the fund for public housing. Mm-hmm. Um, after you came in in a little while, so what's the status there, and and is, how is that helpful? Sure.
0: So I, first of all, this is this is this is the fun part of my job, um, which is you know trying to engage New Yorkers in the discussion about the value of public housing and why they should care about it. Um, we were very clear at the outset that the fund wasn't here to solve the 17 billion dollar capital need. We really believe that the the depth and magnitude of that lift is a public sector and private sector uh, capital intensive uh, sort of assignment. And so the fund is really focused on um, the well-being of the New Yorkers who live in public housing. And so the mission is to improve the, their, their well-being through the investment in people, place, and work. And I'm pleased to say that in just a, one year of its fi- founding, I think the number is climbing because we're currently in a little bit of a fun drive right now, um, we've raised a, a, a close to a million and a half dollars. We have a, a fantastic board of folks um, that have assembled from the tech industry, from the food industry, from the healthcare industry. Um, We have a 60-person advisory board. One of the things that we've also sought to do is is connect with um, alum, uh, we call them alum, people who've grown up in public housing who've gone on to do both extraordinary and ordinary things. So Whoopi Goldberg has sat with us and and taped a, a, a supportive message which will go out soon and we'll be doing some other things with her. As well as just ordinary New Yorkers who've grown up in public housing and and um, who want to give back in some substantial way. Right now we are. Look on Jay Z. I
1: know you mentioned you mentioned Jay Z to us when we wrote the article. Jay Z, if you're listening, (laughs) funforpublichousing.org.
0: You know we are right now looking to we launched a partnership with Kaboom, which is a playground play space initiative to build um, sort of eco friendly innovative spaces for children um, throughout the throughout the country. Entry. And so we're currently um, looking to sort of b- raise some significant resources through um, for for that initiative to do a build um, this this fall. And so we um, just raised seventy five thousand dollars and are um, you know in the process of we need to raise another seventy five thousand um, by the end of next week. So um, I think we if this happens, it will show it will be a really good um, model and template for us to you know again going back to that fourth pillar or of next gen. We are more than just buildings. We're communities. And so investing in things that people care about, like play spaces, um, and um, but also connecting people to real work opportunities. So we have this fabulous food pathways program, which finds NYCHA, you know, residents who, who essentially run businesses out of their home, brings them in, Twelve week process to get the sort of necessary city licensure licensure, uh, do some power coaching. And then three years later, these folks have cash flowing businesses, everything from you know, food trucks to online caterings, et cetera. So how do we sort of scale that up, you know, in the in the mode of like a ten thousand businesses sort of approach is, is is the work that my colleague Rasmia and I are, are are focused on. So really excited, a lot of good buzz. We we absolutely, you know, are our are, are Seeking some additional um, significant kind of, I like to say, sort of earth-moving investments, and we have some we have some good leads out there.
1: Interesting. Well, thank you. There's a lot more to discuss there, and it sounds like it's probably time for us at Gotham Zed to do a follow-up on the fund for public housing. Um, you know, I think it's great to talk with you about NYCHA and hopefully, we'll talk with you again in the coming weeks and months because you know, many times I think New Yorkers who don't live. In NYCHA, don't really pay enough attention to what's mm-hmm. going on. There's a lot of things obviously happening as we've touched on this conversation. Um, so, you can check out lots of information being put out by NYCHA uh, at NYCHA's websites. So you can also obviously read the CBC, the latest CBC report, Room to Breathe, uh, and you can see some of our Gotham Museum reporting on, on NYCHA. Uh, Shola, thank you so thank much you. for joining us. Thanks, it's been a
0: pleasure. Thank
2: Thanks, you, Maria. Thanks for listening. Bye. <music>